You're listening to a sermon from New Harvest Church in Salem, Oregon. We believe that you were created for connection to Christ and a community of his followers. This sermon is an extension of our desire to become more like Christ by engaging God's word within our weekly gatherings. If you are in the area, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about New Harvest and our ministries at newharvestch.org. Well, it is the third Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a time where we uh, really celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, that makes total sense. The word Advent is connected to the word coming or the meaning of the coming of the Lord. And so that's how it started. Uh, we remember some of the Old Testament uh, readings and teaching, like when Isaiah said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, that, that text. And that's something that, you know, is kind of in our minds when we think about uh, Jesus and him showing up and being among us. And hopeful is really a word that fits Advent, doesn't it? Hope has arrived already. That's the message of Christmas. And yet we're wanting to emphasize the fact that Advent is among us, Jesus is among us, but we also anticipate his return, his coming again. And Advent really is about both. We celebrate Christ already among us and Christ's return in the power of his second coming. So the heartbeat of hope, there you have it. Well, I think we have an exciting Old Testament text today to emphasize and to talk about this theme of hope. Uh, that's our, our, what we're doing with the different Advent Sundays as we look at an Old Testament prophecy and we project it from the past message into what it means to us right now and into the future. And this really is exactly that. And, and this is such a unique text also in the Old Testament because it says something about a stump. And uh, a stump isn't really usually a very um, interesting topic, a stump. I mean, I had a few stumps in my yard. I had a couple of trees that didn't, they needed to be cut down. They weren't doing well, diseased and all. And I cut them down. Well, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. Uh, not even Larry Perrin did that one. But anyway, that they, you can... So we, we cut those trees down, and I thought to myself, stumps are sort of cool. I don't know why I thought that, but I thought, I'm, I'm going to do something with these two stumps. You know what? I never did anything with those stumps. In fact, the stumps started to rot, and then some little critters <laughs> found that they loved that stump. And so it was, I needed George Kenny to help me out with my stump. George Kenny is from Washington near Tacoma, just like Julie, and he is, you know, accomplished. He has skills and creativity to take a stump and make it into something like a bear. Yes, that's his work. And he's done things that you can look him up online, George Kenny, and you can see that he has eagles and he has herons and he has gorillas and he, he carves it all. And, uh, but I could never be as skilled as George Kenny. Maybe I could learn something from Bob Villa. Bob Villa, now he takes a stump and makes something kind of cool, like 
that's a, a Bob Villa creation. And I, I maybe could do a little bit more like that. I might need someone's help, but my grandkids would like that very much. Or well, let's just bring some life to a, a, a stump. And you have our next stump. Let's see, let's just have a little bit of creativity around a stump. And, and uh, you know, a stump doesn't have to look so dead then. It can have some life to it and everything. But the one stump that, I, that he's been, uh, he's made several of these, and they're gnome homes. Gnome homes. And, uh, you know, I was at a meeting with our Angel Tree team as we get ready for our party uh, tonight. And uh, the suggestion for a craft was to make a gnome. And in all sincerity, I said, what is a gnome? I know I'm out to lunch, but what is a gnome? I I said that and everything. I looked it up and I said, no, it's gnome (laughs) That's, uh, you know, and so what's a gnome? And I I learned that they're little people, (laughs) little people. But guess what these gnomes do? They guard a treasure. And in this case, the gnome is guarding a treasure. One of his pictures, you'll have to look it up has a gnome on the outside of the stump, a little gnome, and it protects the treasure in the stump. We're going to talk about a treasure found in a stump this morning. Are you ready? Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 is our text, and this um, is always thought of as a messianic text. It points to the coming of the Messiah, what the Messiah would mean. Watch these words. Talk about a stump. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. That's a a very full verse there. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now that gets our attention. It should. It's very powerful. This is, this is something very significant. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Not by mere appearance. Uh-uh. No, rather, but with righteousness. He will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor. And really, other translations say, with justice, he will make fair decisions for the poor of the earth. That's an important clarification. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. We're talking about justice here. We're talking about the arrival of righteousness Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And what will the results be? Watch this. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw with the ox. Fascinating. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child would put its hand into the, the, the viper's nest. They will neither harm or destroy on my holy mountain. And it could say, thus saith the Lord, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is so fascinating, isn't it? 
And then 10 kind of wraps it up, at least for this morning. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nation will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. That word resting place really can be translated, his residency will be glorious. That's our text for today. This is the word of the Lord. And we get to look at it, and we get to embrace it. And I believe in these verses is the heartbeat of hope. I know the word hope isn't specifically mentioned, but everywhere laced in this, we have this sense of hope. And the interpretation of this text is really um, so focused on the Messiah. A few have suggested that maybe it's talking about the Assyrians, and they're going to be judged, and this is... Part of the judgment is the coming of one who will take, you know, authority here and, and the, the exiled people will be freed. And, and so there can be some connection, but Bible scholars, you know, almost unanimously point to this text because of the wording of the text and the introduction of the text as messianic. And it's very hopeful, very hopeful. From the very beginning, we have the sense of connection. We have a guy named Jesse, and that gets our attention. And then we don't stop with that. We go, in verse 10, we go to the root of Jesse. We have the stump of Jesse, and then the root of Jesse. And we can sense something very special is spoken here through the prophet Isaiah. We can feel it. We can know it. We, we, we say, okay, Jesse. We know Jesse. He's the father of David. And, okay, the connection of David. And what does that mean? Well, David wouldn't be the root of Jesse. I mean, he could be, but when Isaiah wrote these words, David was dead. (laughs) He was long dead. So here's the idea. Again, through the prophet Isaiah, you know these words. In Isaiah 9-7, in Isaiah 9-7, we read this. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, there you have it, and over his kingdom and establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, read those words, justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That's what we're talking about. This, this reign on David's throne, this promise, this connection, the arrival, the, the, the one hoped for. And, and you remember verse 6? You remember this. And he shall be called... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are the words of Isaiah. And they were written 700 years before the arrival, the first arrival of Jesus the Messiah. And that's what we get to talk about. Now, Nathan said specifically to David, when David was alive, these words in 2 Samuel 7.16, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Wow. Now that sounds very hopeful. I mean, if a prophet said that to you, you'd say, whoa, that is fantastic, right? But when Isaiah wrote these words, guess what? The reign of David was like a stump. It was non-existent, really. There wasn't any strong evidence of this promise being accomplished, being fulfilled. Within two generations, David's kind of like hopeful sense, 
just disintegrates. You've got Solomon and Solomon and all his greatness ending on such a poor note. And then you've got Solomon with a son that goes this way and a kingdom in the north and separation. And, and it just begins to, begins to unravel. And by the time Isaiah's writing this, it is no more than a stump. The descendants of David are like fallen. Not anywhere to be seen. Wow. And it's in that, that kind of dead, kind of like, wow, comes the promise of hope in this prophecy. Watch what happens. Hope is based on the God who resurrects. He resurrects something that is dead as a stump. That's kind of the message here in verse 1. Verse 1 is very full verse. The shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. And this word shoot is really a, a picture of a small twig. A small twig. You know, like kind of like a baby born in an obscure little town in a, among, among farm animals in a cave. That kind of shoot. That kind of twig. But that twig, that small twig, almost unnoticeable, becomes what? From his roots, a branch, capital B, branch, will come forth. The branch will bear fruit. And let's make some connections here. We've got the shoot, born in obscurity, raised up to be a branch among the people, Will bear much fruit. Was that true? Did the branch bear much fruit? Like two billion followers on the globe call Jesus their savior? That sounds pretty fruitful to me. And so you have the branch. The branch is revealed, but the branch will be cut down. But then the branch will be raised back up again by the power of God. All in this verse, I want you to see the connection that it begins with. The promise of the Messiah and what it would mean to us. And it closes with, he will be glorious. His residence will be glorious. We have all that predicted before us. And this God of ours is famous for reversals. He takes dead things and makes them alive. And he does it time and again. And he's going to continue to do it. That's my hope. He's going to continue to do it in my life. He rose his own son. From life, There was small, but now expansive. There was a sense of no hope, but now there's hopeful. And it's all based on the resurrection, the firstborn from the dead, Jesus himself. And by relationship with Jesus, I too have the hope of the resurrection. Don't you? The resurrection, that, you know, kind of like supersedes the circumstances I'm in. People say to me, I hope in the resurrection. No, no, no. This is what I say. Because of the resurrection, I hope. That's different. That's why I can hope. That's why you can hope. This Jesus, (laughs) the living art from the stump of Jesse, is my Savior. And I hope he's your Savior too. Because in it, you can believe the resurrection and have hope. Number two, hope is based on, and as it follows here, I would suggest this statement, the God who renews, the God who renews, um, this, this God who breaks forth, 
with the fruitful branch introduces him in this way. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. There'll be wisdom and counsel and might. The fear of the Lord, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The, the introduction, the announcement, the, the characteristics of the branch is this divine picture of God in and through him. Something that proceeded from the stump becomes divine. That's the message here. Jesus affirmed this truth when he went into a synagogue in Nazareth, Nazareth, and he read from the prophet Isaiah again in verse in chapter 61, and he said this, the spirit is upon me and has anointed me. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Those are the words, and we have them recorded in Luke 4. In Luke 4, Jesus is saying, and the words that I've read to you from Isaiah 61 and the words he could have read from Isaiah 11 are fulfilled today in my coming. Jesus told us that he was the Messiah. He made it clear. He said it so many times. And this anointing was one of wisdom and power and understanding. The presence of the Spirit in Jesus' life is undeniable. We saw how he, he stayed connected with the Father. We saw how, how he obeyed the Father. We saw how he, we read how he did everything the Father asked him to do. Undeniably, we have seen the Spirit of God walk, as Jesus walked this earth, we've seen the Spirit of God flow out of his life, haven't we? We've read about it. We've been inspired by it. We have no question that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that to be true. But here, the message spills into our lives. When Jesus said, I go so that the Spirit might come to you. I go away for your good. See, Jesus, filled with the Spirit, passes on the Spirit to his followers, to you and me. This is, this is really the, you, you get this connection. It, it's an easy connection. It says those that belong to Christ, his spirit lives in them. That's, that, that's said time and again. And what word would describe what the spirit does in your life and mine more than any other word? Well, that's a hard question possibly, but I picked renew. He renews life. He renews strength. There's this transforming work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't deserve it, but I've been given it, him, by, in gift form. Like Romans 8.11 says. Romans 8.11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and he does, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, renew, give life to, renew your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. Now, I don't always feel God's presence, but guess what? I have complete confidence that God, through his spirit, lives in me. Complete confidence. And that makes such a difference. This promise that the Father sent the Spirit to live in me is renewing my life time and again. And it makes me amazingly hopeful. You see, the Spirit of God, listen to this, the Spirit of God is always hopeful. 
right? The spirit of the living God is always hopeful, 24-7. It's who he is. And he lives in me. And the possibility of me being hopeful is immensely more about my life than it would be otherwise. So thank you for that. That is it. He lives in me. So you have the hope that I have because of the resurrection, the hopeful spirit living in me, and now the hope is based on my hope, your hope, our hope, that is based on the God who is righteous. The God who is righteous. Always right. It could be translated that way. We have verse 4. We have verse 5. We have the announcement of righteousness. We have a sense of, of his doing right connected to his righteousness. And it's who he is, his character. He always does the right thing. Our God always does the right thing. We can count on that. We know that to be true. Listen to verse 3. It, it's this, this idea. God is not limited to how things look or what people say. No, the message here is that God can't be faked out. He knows. He knows what's true in my life, in your life. He knows what's true in this world. He knows everything. He can look inside and knows every situation. And it says, in this regard, he has compassion on the poor. He is just with the needy. His character, the the message is his character is impeccable. (laughs) Righteousness and faithfulness, the unchanging character traits of our God. And that's the announcement here. And so I take great confidence, I hope you do too, that God is always doing the right thing. It may not look like it, it from my limited human point of view, but Lord looks beyond that. He sees beyond that. And so I, I, I just was, the nature of God gives me great hope. And his nature is expounded in these words about justice and righteousness and faithfulness. And I believe that about God. And I believe that God is big and he's great and he loves me. And that makes such a difference. Now, when I read these words, uh, in, in late, uh, woven into these words, maybe you noticed them too, it says, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. That's in there. And that, those words are connected to the justice of God, and that God knows. He knows uh, uh, the, the reality of rejection and the, the um, necessity of punishment and judgment. He knows that. In fact, Revelation ends this way. It's not hard to find Revelation 19 because it's one page from the back of the book. Here we go. I didn't even have to mark it. I just went to the back of the book, page one over, and I'm there. <laughs> Revelation 19.11. You, 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 you remember these words? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. I heard those words already. With justice, there's another one, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. 
but we're going to learn it right now. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. (laughs) There you go. We know what we're talking about now. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. Sounds like a rod. (laughs) Sounds like just like same that we read in Isaiah 11. Well, whether it's the same or not, the nature of it, the, the promise of it is the same, which will strike down the nations, will, will come in judgment on the earth. He will rule them with an iron scepter. That means he's totally in charge. That's what that means. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. The justice, his justice again. On his robe and on his thigh, He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I thought of Revelation 19 when I was kind of studying and thinking about what Isaiah was saying in this chapter. And it really, the connect point was that God has an eternal plan and he will make all things right. And he does all things right. And he judges correctly, clearly, with justice and and so I want, the, first, the, the, the bottom line here for me is that I believe if you, you and me, perceive and embrace God as great and as big as he is, in all his be- beautiful and marvelous and eternal character traits, attributes, that we will have hope. We'll have hope. The bigger God is to you, greater your hope. I'm sure of it. When God seems small and like, God, do you know what's happening around here? I mean, it's just not really cool. Then he seems small. But when he gets expansive and big, great is my hope. And finally, hope, where is finally? There it is. Hope is based on on the God who reigns. The God who reigns. And these next words are so fascinating, aren't they? They're so fascinating, and they kind of like get you thinking about that, where you have uh, the wolf that lives with the lamb, and you got the cow feeding with the bear, and you got the infant playing in the cobra's den, <laughs> and you've got the earth filled with the knowledge of the Lord. <laughs> that is a picture, isn't it? Fascinating picture, exciting picture, and it really, it it flows from the message we've received in the first five verses. It flows from Revelation 19, because Revelation 19 turns into 20 and 21, and you know what you read about in Revelation 21? The new heaven and the new earth. That's what you read about. And doesn't that give you a picture of something new, like we've never seen before? The new, I want you to sense the new earth, like, like a sense of the return of the Garden of Eden kind of thing, right? It has that kind of picture. And the harmony and the safety that is portrayed is, is just so compelling, so hopeful, the new earth. And that's what I thought about here. And this idea the new earth will be full. I put full, be filled, but full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just amazing. Just amazing, really. And so I, if, 
I, I just, with a picture like that, really a, a picture of, of the anticipation of the new earth and this kind of harmony and safety and satisfaction that, these, that, that this portrays, how can you not be hopeful? This is the promise for you and me. <laughs> I know you're saying, well, it hasn't happened yet. That's when you start losing your hope. Oh, it isn't going to happen yet. It's a promise. And all the promises of God in the book have been fulfilled. And the rest of them will be too. You can count on it. So when I was thinking about this text and there's various, you know, is this like the whole animal kingdom will just be um, like this in the new earth? And many say, yes, that's the picture here. That's the message. But I heard an interpretation that was sort of intriguing because I like animals. I do. Uh, My wife thinks I don't, but I do like animals. I do. But I like people more than animals, you know, and not everybody could say that, you know. (laughs) Some people say, I'd rather have my dog. But anyway, I like people more than animals, so I think this is about people, just my thoughts. Because remember when we read Daniel 7, and Daniel talked about a leopard, and Daniel talked about a bear, and Daniel talked about a lion. Remember when he talked about those things? You know what he said about those? He said those were the empires. Those were those worldly kings that were pressing in. They were doing ungodly things. It was terrible. They would just wipe out people. They would kill them no, for no reason at all. They operated with, as a tyrant. And it was scary. Can you imagine living then and being exposed to that? Well, I started thinking about this, this kind of predatory kind of empires where kings are with worldly power. Now, this message here in these verses say that power will be totally subdued under the authority of the Lord. Totally. That there will be a sense of submission and judgment. The predatory nations, leopard, lion, bear, whatever, will no longer hurt or destroy. We have that promise in verse 9. No longer harm or destroy because they will, they will be forever under submission. Forever cast aside. Just think of it. Judgment and submission for North Korea. How about that? Or, or China or Russia or Afghanistan or the United States. Total submission. You see, actually, this says every form of authority that is ungodly will be eliminated. Every form of authority that's ungodly will be eliminated under the reign of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, forever. And it will be a place of harmony and satisfaction and completeness beyond our imagination. And may that rise up with hope. Have you ever felt like a small child? in a vulnerable world where anything can happen and, and you, you have this fear that the next bad thing could happen to me and the next bad person could come into my path. And it's that person that I've been seeing right there. Do they have ill purpose in mind against me? And so we walk through life with a little bit of concern because we live in an evil world, a fallen world, and we're kind of going, oh, no, it could be. I mean, somebody could steal my money, steal my identity, steal. They could, they, they could 
wreck things. They could run their car into my car and it, it could be no more. Never again. Complete harmony. Satisfaction beyond degree. Totally safe forever and ever. Now, I'm drawn to that picture as much as I like animals. Anyway, so the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Last week, Tyler said, let's make a connection between joy eternally and joy right now. Makes total sense. The joy of heaven, living that joy now. How about the hope of heaven, living that hope right now? That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That kind of hope. I've mentioned that now and then I'll record a sporting event and I'll, I'll want to watch it, you know. But now and then some well-meaning people will say to me, you know what happened at that game? And they'll tell me the outcome. And I'll go, ooh. But then I'll say, oh, they won, did they? Good. I'm going to watch that. And I'm going to watch it with such pleasure and relaxation. <laughs> you have to know me to know that that is something. <laughs> anyway, guess what? I know. I know the outcome. I know it's already recorded. I know it's going to happen. I don't know all the specifics. I don't know all the plays. But I know the outcome. And the outcome is... Jesus Christ will reign forever. And in that, I hope. Well, I was thinking about how relaxed I would be watching a sports event like I suggested. And uh, being relaxed, I, c- I could wait for the end. It wouldn't, I wouldn't be in a hurry to get, get through the end. I know at the end it would be such and such. And I was just thinking about how, uh, how difficult it is to wait, to wait in our world Wait. Did you know that in the Old Testament that uh, interchangeable is, is the Hebrew word, one, one of the Hebrew words for hope and wait? They, they're interchangeable. Or you can, you can read Isaiah 40, verse 31, and you can say, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And you can also read in many translations, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They're, they go hand in hand, waiting and hoping. And I was thinking about this biblical pattern of waiting. Waiting uh, like Adam. He had to wait for a partner. Or there was Noah and he had to wait for the floodwaters to recede. And, and Abraham who waited for a son. And Jacob who waited for, to marry Rachel. And Hannah waited for a, Waiting. The Israelites waiting to be delivered. Time and again. Waiting. And the thing is that, that this idea of waiting. This pattern of waiting. There's a secret to waiting. It's hope. Hope empowers us to wait. Hope empowers us to wait. And the Apostle Paul, he had a text that I'd like to end with. It's in Romans 8. And Romans 8 is a... your Bible should fall over to Romans 8 because it's uh, the monumental <laughs> chapter. 
It goes like this. We know, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Life is difficult. Things are challenging. It isn't what really we long for. The the circumstances in life are less than predictable. It is difficult. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The the Spirit lives in us. We groan inwardly. Because we wait eagerly, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We wait eagerly for our eternal dwelling and the new earth. And he, he says, and there's, here's the key, for in this hope we were saved. And we hope for what we have not yet received and we wait for it patiently. I want so much for hope to fill your hearts in a fresh and new way today. And I know you believe Jesus died, and I know you believe Jesus rose again, and you know what? I know you believe that Jesus is coming again, and we pin our hopes on his coming again. I want you to do that. Confident expectation. The resurrection. The renewal. God is righteous and he will reign forever. Confident expectations. May it sustain you in this life of waiting. Celeste, Tyler. I so appreciate the opportunity we have to respond even as we worship and sing together as we close. And we have the communion meal available for you. The communion meal is a, is a meal. It says, do this, you know, and, and every time you do this, you proclaim the, the Lord's death until he returns. You pro- proclaim the Lord's death until he... It's a meal of waiting also for the feast, the wedding feast. And so when you participate in communion, you're renewing your sense of connection and faith. And you're reminding yourself that you have a lot to be hopeful for and you are then establishing in that moment's time a connection with God and transition from this setting into the world we live. I invite you to the table. They're both elements are in the back and up front. Will you please stand? scripture that comes to my mind right now Christ in you the hope of glory and Jesus living in our hearts means so much maybe you're listening today maybe you're even gathered in this place you're really not sure where Jesus is in your life you're not sure he's in your heart you know the best hope can be is optimism positive thinking living in a state of denial, really. But genuine hope, hope that transcends, hope that has a sense of the divine, hope that lasts is the hope of Christ, receiving him by faith and having him as your savior and allowing him to guide you through life. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you, God, 
that you've given us hope. Hope has arrived. And as we place our faith in your son, Jesus, you invade our hearts. And little by little, you take over as we let you. And we want you more and more to take over. We surrender again, afresh and anew, your life flowing in ours. Father, if there's someone listening, and you know every heart, you know every heart in this room, you know every person and situation watching online, there's some uncertainty there. Lord, you're willing and open-armed to receive, to make new, to forgive, to bring life. Thank you for that. Your salvation is marvelous, and your promises are sure. Thank you for these gifts gifts that last forever from you. Thank you for this morning, the blessing of this morning. We are, Lord, the most hopeful people on the globe because of you. Bless us as we go in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen.